There are only two good things to ever come out of COVID, the first being the ability to work from home, and the second is the ability to attend film festivals virtually. And I've always wanted to attend Sundance, and if you don't know what Sundance is, it's a film festival that's organized by the Sundance Institute, and the Sundance Institute was created in 1981 by the actor Robert Redford, and essentially the Institute is meant to support independent filmmakers, and the festival is meant to showcase independent films. And Sundance is always something I wanted to experience. And I told myself one day I will attend the festival, but, you know, unfortunately, not only is it expensive, but I live in Michigan, so I can't exactly walk over to Salt Lake fucking city, Utah, and attend. (laughs) Yeah, uh, Sundance is in Utah, of all places, but after COVID hit, Sundance and other festivals actually Uh, made it possible to experience the festival virtually. And for some reason, until now, I didn't ever even consider purchasing tickets for the virtual showings um, because the process, you know, it just seemed intimidating to me for some reason. I'm not, (laughs) I don't know what it is about it. You know, the prices and the scheduling, it all kind of seemed like a headache. So I I didn't even want to deal with it. I'm one of those people. I don't want to deal with the headache, so I'm not going to deal with the headache. Uh, But The prices are pretty crazy. The highest ticket package this year was $750, which just makes me want to throw up and shit myself at the same time. So you can't blame me for being intimidated. But thankfully, just as the uh, festival started, I was scrolling through TikTok and I watched this video by one of my favorite TikTokers. He goes by the name movie boy guy, which I know I've definitely mentioned him in the podcast before. I can't remember where, but I remember I mentioned him. Um, Oh, I know exactly where I mentioned him. I mentioned him in my (laughs) part one of my October horror movie marathon that I actually never ended up doing a follow-up to. So I apologize (laughs) apologize for that. Um, But in this TikTok, he was just talking about the movies he was going to see at Sundance and how he got the tickets and basically how easy it was. And because of him, thank you, movie boy guy, I decided to bite the bullet and finally do it. And I experienced my very first Sundance this year. So the thing about Sundance is that not every movie is available virtually. And there was one movie that I really wanted to see this year that was um, the 1995 Greg Araki movie, The Doom Generation. It is one of those movies I've always searched for and just could never find one, an uncut version of it and a uh, one that the quality was worth watching. You know, a lot of it is just completely pixelated, jumbled mess that you can barely see. And it actually premiered in Sundance in 1995. And I'm pretty sure it is the only time it has been seen how Greg Araki intended. Don't quote me on that. Do not quote me on that. But I'm pretty sure for whatever reason, it was recut significantly uh, for like home video and it's kind of like this cult classic that you you can find it online, but again, the quality is shit and it's the recut version. But this year, this year, they, they screened a 4K Remaster Originals director's cut of it and it wasn't, it wasn't available virtually and I'm still devastated about it. Greg Araki is one of my favorite directors and I absolutely love, 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 love Rose McGowan who is in it. But I'm hoping because of this remaster and because they played it at Sundance that it does 
get a Blu-ray release. I don't think it will. Something's telling me it's not, but I'm really hoping it is. Um, I did think, I do think I read that they, they took it out of the actual, there's a Sundance vault, I guess, that they uh, took it out of to do this. So I don't know who owns the rights to make a Blu-ray, but if they do not make a Blu-ray of this 4K cut, I will fucking kill myself. But anyway, <laughs> back to Sundance. Um, not every movie is available virtually and movies can sell out. And you may be asking me, Patrick, how can something sell out if it's virtual? Well, that would be a good fucking question because it's not like there are no more seats available. But they do sell out, and there was a few that did sell out that I was interested in, like um, Magazine Dreams, which stars Jonathan Majors, which mm, I've heard it's not that great, but I've heard he's incredible in it, so I did want to see it. Although I didn't hear it was not good before I wanted to watch it, but after everyone already saw it, you know, the ones who got the tickets before me, I heard mixed things. But I was able to get my hands on five tickets, and each ticket was about $20, so it's definitely doable, but I do wish I planned ahead of time and saved up so I could have seen more movies. I also wish I had more time to watch them. Honestly, I would have taken time off work. I would have. <laughs> I don't give a fuck about work. I will take the time off. I don't need to be paid. I don't give a shit. Let me watch these movies. Anyway... The way the virtual tickets work is that they sent me a link where the window to watch them was from January 24th, 8 a.m. to January 29th, 11.55 p.m. And as soon as you click the link, you have five hours to watch it. So once you click play, you basically have to watch it right then and there or else it will expire. And you can watch it on your TVs, but uh, for some reason I could not get that figured out. Uh, my TV is kind of a piece of shit. Actually, it's a really nice TV. It's a 4K TV, but for some, <laughs> it's a Samsung. One, the screen is kind of broken. My mom broke it, but <laughs> I couldn't get it to connect. I don't know if it needed to be an Apple TV or like I needed a Roku or Fire Stick or some shit, but when I was trying to like cast it to my screen or cast my laptop to my screen, the screen was just black and there was no sound. So I was like, okay, fuck it. I don't give a shit. I'll just watch it on my laptop because you know what? I have a nice gaming laptop and the screen looks great and it didn't bother me whatsoever. I watch movies on my laptop sometimes. Don't tell James Cameron. Don't tell Steven Spielberg. They will have me publicly executed for admitting that. But <laughs> there is a wide section of movies that play at Sundance and I, I still don't really understand the structure of it, but I'm going to read you guys the descriptions of all the categories that are listed on the Sundance website for this current year. So the first is the U.S. Dramatic Competition, and the U.S. Dramatic Competition offers festival goers a look at the groundbreaking new voices in American independent film presenting the world premieres of 12 narrative feature films. Then there is the U.S. Documentary Competition, which is basically the same thing as the Dramatic Competition, just with documentaries, and that is presenting the world with 12 Nonfiction feature films, the U.S. documentary competition offers festival goers a first look at American films, illuminating the ideas, people, and events that shape the present day. After that is the World Cinema Dramatic Competition, which I'm going to be honest, I hate that they distinguish like how this one is um, the dramatic it's just the U.S. dramatic, and then this one is the world. I guess, I don't know. It just annoys the shit out of me, like, at the Oscars, how it's, like, 
best foreign language film or best non-English language film or best foreign film, whatever they call it, it annoys the shit out of me because it's like, why are they distinguished by foreign or not? And also, it's not a foreign film. If you call it a foreign film, that just insinuates that like America is the epicenter of film. That's just not true. So I don't care for that. I think if a movie is good enough to be best picture, it should be in there. It doesn't fucking matter what language they are speaking or what country the movie is from. That shouldn't be a controversial opinion, but whatever. The World Cinematic or the World Cinema Dramatic Competition is uh, these twelve narrative films from emerging talent from around the world offer fresh perspectives and inventive styles. After that, just like the U.S. categories, there is the World Cinema Documentary Competition, and it says these twelve nonfiction feature films from emerging talent from around the world showcase some of the most courageous, extraordinary filmmaking today. There's also the category that is titled Next, which is described as pure, bold works distinguished by innovative, forward-thinking approach. Pure, bold works distinguished by an innovative, forward-thinking approach to storytelling populate this program. Digital technology paired with unfettered creativity promises that the films in this section will shape a greater next wave in American cinema. Then there's the midnight category, which personally going into it, I was like, okay, I'm just going to watch as many as I can from the midnight category. But I did decide not to do that because this category does feature a lot of horror. And I realized that this podcast is so much horror and I would like it to be things other than that. But the midnight category is described as from horror flicks to wild comedies to chilling thrillers and others that defy any genre these films will keep you wide awake at the edge of your seat why is it called the midnight category i'm gonna be honest i'm not sure maybe they play them in person at midnight i have no idea that sounds right to me but you know don't quote me on that Um, Then there's the premieres, and that sounds just like it is. This showcases the world premieres, presents highly anticipated films on a variety of subjects, fiction, and nonfiction. Then there's also the New Frontier, and that is described as New Frontier champions artists who engage in experimental storytelling at the crossroads of film, art, performance, and media technology, showcasing cutting-edge works that explores and evolves cinema's culture in today's rapidly changing landscape. Jesus, that's a long sentence. Uh, The new frontier is presently in a process of reimagination. This year, we return to our roots to offer a global lineup of resonant experimental films. Following that is the spotlight category, and the spotlight program is a tribute to the cinema we love presenting films that have played throughout the world. I think I read somewhere that like that was basically because of the rules of festivals and awards they're not able to be put up for competition because they premiered in another film festival. So this is ones that premiered in another film festival, but they still wanted to show at Sundance, but it just can't win any prizes. Don't quote me on that. I might've just made that up and pulled that out of my ass, but I'm pretty sure that is what that category is. And then next there is the kids category selection, and that is geared towards our youngest independent film fans. How many kids are fans of independent film? I have no fucking idea. But this 
This section of the festival is programmed in cooperation with Utah Film Center, host of Tumbleweeds Film Festival, the state's premier film festival for children and adolescents. Then there is the special screenings, which is described as one-of-a-kind moments highlight new independent works that add to the unique festival experience. And then there's both the short film program and the indie episodic program, which are exactly what they sound like, short films, and what Sundance calls bold stories told in multiple episodes. So I'm guessing like miniseries or something like that. And then finally, there is from the collection program, which is where they uh, screened the Doom Generation, which I would have liked to have seen. But that is described as rediscover classic works of independent cinema as the Sundance Festival presents films from the vaults of the Sundance Collection at UCLA. Formed in partnership with UCLA Film and Television Archive and growing through the support of donors, the collection now contains more than 2,000 films. So... Like I said, I was able to watch five movies from Sundance this year, and there's a whole bunch of movies. I don't. I should have counted how many there were, but five is a very small number, especially because the U.S. dramatic competition and like the dramatic world competition and the both documentaries competitions. They each one has twelve in there, I believe, from what I just said. So five is a pretty small number, but I was able to watch. Fair Play, Run Rabbit Run, Mutt, Shortcomings, and The Accidental Getaway Driver. So I'm going to go over my kind of thoughts of them and what the experience was like watching them. Um, Starting with Fair Play, which was my first Sundance movie ever. It was directed by Chloe Dumont and stars Phoebe Denever and Alden Ehrenreich. Um, And this is the synopsis given on Letterboxd. An unexpected promotion at a cutthroat hedge fund pushes a young couple's relationship to the brink, threatening to unravel not only their recent engagement, but their lives. And since this played in person at the festival before I was able to watch it virtually, I heard a few things prior, mainly that it was pretty good, but also I was kind of led to believe that it was supposed to be an erotic thriller. And while I agree that it was really good, it is definitely not an erotic thriller. It's no basic instinct. It's no devil in the flesh. It's no poison ivy. It's no fatal attraction. But that is okay. That is okay because I still really liked this. And sex does play an important part in this movie. And it is kind of used to demonstrate power within their changing relationship. But I still would not categorize this as an erotic thriller. Erotic? No. Thriller, yes. Because I had so much anxiety watching this, even though it is on a very small scale in terms of story. And I think that is mainly due to DeMont's directing. I'm sorry if I mispronounced her last name. I, I'm i not sure what it is. And then also um, to Phoebe and Alden's acting abilities, because the whole time you just feel this tension between the two that simmer until it comes to a boil. And I honestly did not know what to expect next. Um, But I think they really stuck the landing. It has a great, great ending. And I have no idea what a hedge fund is. I don't know if that makes me sound dumb as a box of fucking rocks, but I don't know what a hedge fund is. I don't know what they were talking about half the time. They're talking about investing money and taking... I don't... Honestly, I have no idea. It was like half the time they were talking in a completely different language with no subtitles. I didn't know what was going on, but I just knew I was stressed the hell out. (laughs) And it's kind of weird to say, oh, this is a thriller, 
even though it just has to do with like their relationship basically exploding. Um, but I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. And I believe it was picked up by Netflix. Again, don't quote me on that, but I think it was. And I hope it comes out, you know, with a wider release this year, whether that's through Netflix or through the theaters. I think this will do well on, nah, I don't know. I'm not sure if this movie in 2023 would do well in theaters because I feel like it is so small scale that people today will just think, oh, it's either going to be on streaming right away or I can rent it on VOD like as soon as possible. So it's like, I don't know, you know, movie, the movie distribution is so different after COVID that I don't know if this will would have done well in theaters. So I do think it will do better on Netflix, but I do think that is a shame because it is really good. And I would have liked to have seen this in theaters and it deserves to be seen on the big screen, but you know, I'm just glad that it will be seen by more people going forward. But overall, I gave it a four out of five. I'm glad my first Sundance movie was a good one, if not a great one. I really, really enjoyed this one. And right after Fair Play, I went straight into Run Rabbit Run for a double feature. And Run Rabbit Run is directed by Dana Reed and stars Sarah Snook. And the letterbox synopsis says, Sarah is a fertility doctor with a firm understanding of the cycle of life. When she is forced to make sense of the increasingly strange behavior of her young daughter, Mia, she must challenge her own beliefs and confront a ghost from her past. And same as Fair Play, this was shown in person before the virtual screenings were opened because I, I don't remember what day the Sundance Festival actually started, but it was like three days in that the virtual screenings open up, I think, maybe two, something like that. Don't quote me on that. Could have been a week and a half for all I fucking know. I don't know, but it starts later. So I, I did hear some rumblings about Run Rabbit Run before I watched it. And unfortunately, they were all extremely negative. <laughs> and unfortunately for me, I agree. <laughs> I did not care for this. I thought Sarah Snook was great. But if you've seen any horror movie that features a disturbed child, you have seen Run Rabbit Run. It is just cliche after cliche stitched together to make an entire movie. And I also feel like Dana Reed's intention behind this was to get picked up and distributed by A24. And I do not mean that in a good way. I really don't. <laughs> Run Rabbit Run really tries to emulate that stereotypical A24 aesthetic that the general public thinks of when they see A24. Which I just need to say, I think the idea of Ari Aster has warped everyone's brains into thinking A24 only makes and distributes movies that fit the tone of something like Hereditary or Midsummer, And that is just not true. This is the same company that distributed movies like Laggies, Barely Lethal, and Gloria Bell. Having A24 attached does not mean it will necessarily feel like an Ari Aster or like a Ty West movie. But Run Rabbit Run really feels like it is trying so hard to be what people mainly associate with A24. But at this point, just watch Hereditary or even The Omen or Sinister or The Brood or Hide and Seek or Mama or Pet Cemetery, or The Sixth Sense or The Babadook or even Orphan <laughs> because... 
they all do exactly what Run Rabbit Run tries to do, but they just did it first and they did it better. Two out of five. So after Run Rabbit Run, I was a little discouraged because I was nervous that the rest of my picks would be complete flops, but thankfully I watched Mutt, which was my favorite of the picks, and I will just say it is a five out of five for me. Mutt is directed by, and I apologize because I'm definitely going to be butchering this name, but Vuk Longalove Klutz, Klautz, I believe, and stars Leo Mihel in the lead role. And the letterbox synopsis is, over the course of a single hectic day in New York City, three people from Fenya's past are thrust back into his life, his foreign father, his straight ex-boyfriend, and his 13-year-old half-sister. Having lost touch since transitioning from female to male, Fenya must navigate the new dynamics of these old relationships while tackling the day-to-day challenges that come with living a life in between. I loved this. I cannot say it any better than the short review I wrote on Letterboxd, which actually, this is cool, Sundance reached out to me on Twitter asking if they could post my review on their Instagram page as they're like within their uh, wrap up for the festival. So if you want to see that, you can check it out on their Instagram. But I wrote one of the most authentic films I've ever seen, a true slice of life that is a gut punch and a warm hug all in one. This is very special and I fully believe it will be embraced by the community for lifetimes. So thank you to Sundance for adding me to that. It's really cool. Um, I'm glad it was for a movie like Mutt because I absolutely loved it. And I am extremely disappointed that I have not seen a lot of people talking about it. Um, I didn't see any of the big award winners of of the festival, but when I said that I think Mutt is really special, I mean it 100%. I think it'll be one of those movies that the queer community will always hold close to their hearts. Things like the Watermelon Woman, Pink Flamingos, Paris is Burning, God's Own Country, But I'm a Cheerleader, etc., etc., etc. And it may not have made a huge splash right now, but I do believe it will have a lasting impact on the people in the future because I did not see like anyone talking about it. I did read a few reviews of it, which they were saying it was incredible and um, how groundbreaking it is having uh, like a trans director and a trans main actor and really just an accurate depiction of that experience. But I didn't see like anyone I follow on Letterboxd who was doing the festival. I didn't see anyone really watch it. I think I saw one other person and I saw the numbers for it. Like the view count numbers were still much lower than the other one. So I don't know what the people at the festival were doing not seeing much, but it was amazing. Um, But for my next movie, I watched right. I watched this right after Mutt for another double feature. And that is shortcomings which is directed by randall park in his directorial debut he is probably most known for his role in the mcu as well as the interview and always be my maybe and the letterbox synopsis is ben tanaka is a movie theater owner who's grappling with the implication of race and culture on the dating scene ben lives with his girlfriend miko hayashi a politically active firebrand whose enthusiasms aren't shared by her boyfriend His best friend, Alice Kim, is a lesbian who wants him to pretend to be her boyfriend so her conservative family won't learn about her true sexual identity. And I think this uh, synopsis is quite misleading because the pretend boyfriend aspect is only in one scene that lasts about 45 seconds. It's really played off like a joke. Um, 
I I think the whole synopsis in general makes this sound like kind of a rom-com, but it is more in line with like 50 days or sorry, it is more in line with things like 500 Days of Summer where it's much more of a breakup movie rather than a rom-com. Justin Min and Sherry Cola star as the main cast and I think they're extremely likable even though they aren't playing the most likable characters, but I love when movies, especially comedies, have main characters that are assholes. And I just really enjoyed myself. I thought they were really funny, really entertaining, and they felt like real people. And I give it a solid three out of five. I think it would fit really well on Hulu. Um, It felt like a Hulu original. And I I mean that in a a good way, but I could see myself rewatching this and I could also see myself rating it higher upon rewatch. I thought it was really good. It was a strong debut for Randall Park and I'd be interested in what else he has to do. I think he's pretty good at the comedic timing and shortcomings. So yeah, I'm, I'm interested. And finally, <laughs> my last movie was The Getaway Driver directed by Sing J. Lee. And the synopsis is... During a routine pickup, an elderly Vietnamese cab driver is taken hostage at gunpoint by three recently escaped Orange County convicts, based on a true story. I'll just start by saying that I think this was really well made, but I could not connect with this at all. I wanted to engage with it. I wanted to love it, but I kept finding myself just staring at the wall. (laughs) It was not grabbing me at all. I just wanted it to end and I feel bad saying that, but it was just not working for me. I, it felt endless. It felt endless. And (laughs) I kept having to rewind it because I was just zoning out and then I'd have to go back. And then I realized, well, shit, I only have five hours of this. This is already a two hour movie and it feels like it's 10 hours and I don't even want to keep rewinding it because then I'll just take longer to get through it. (sighs) But it looked good and the performances are great, but I don't know. Maybe I just wasn't in the right mood. I was kind of tired when I watched it and I was feeling shitty about myself. So I I don't know, not in the right headspace, but I don't think I liked this. I also, it like, it didn't help that I thought that it would be a thriller judging from the synopsis because I heard nothing about this one going in, but it's the exact opposite of a thriller. It's kind of just an old man, this guy talking the whole time. So I'm open to revisiting it, but I probably won't if I'm being honest. And I'm a little disappointed that I did end my festival with kind of a a slog. But I had fun regardless because overall I enjoyed myself. It didn't matter if the movies, I didn't care for them. I had fun no matter what. I'm glad that I had this opportunity and I definitely think this is something that I will continue to do every year. And I also will be looking into other big film festivals this year to see if there are any virtual options. I haven't looked yet, but I'm hoping other festivals have virtual. I don't know how many other ones did virtual um, during the past two years, but here's hoping because this is not something that I would have been able to experience probably ever in my life without this virtual option. So I really hope that they keep doing the virtual and in-person options because not only do I want to continue participating, but I think there's, I mean, 
I don't even have to think. It's just a fact. There is a much wider reach when these movies are available virtually. And like the whole point of the Sundance Institute is to support independent filmmaking. So there should always be a virtual option so that as many people can experience these movies as possible. But yeah, check it out if you can. Um, again, it was about $20 for each ticket, so it's not too bad, but it is still pretty expensive. I I will have to save up in advance before I do these festivals again. Um, but even if you just want to check out like one movie or maybe two, I think it's completely worth it. I mean, it's cool just to be part of the experience um it is cool to see these before they're available at a wide release it's just like fun to be a part of so i highly 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 recommend i had a great time doing it poorly planned because i think i bought my tickets like a day or a day or a day and a half before they were um the screenings were available and yeah i had a lot of things to do last week so it was a lot but i had a lot of fun so yeah, that was my first Sundance experience. Super fun. Uh, moving forward with the podcast, I am working really hard on finalizing the second annual Film Degree Award nominations. Uh, I still have a few movies to watch, but those will be finished sometime soon, I promise. And it will be posted on the show's Instagram page. So be sure to follow me at uh, film.degree and hopefully the awards will be up sooner rather than later but as you know it took me like 30 fucking years to edit it last year so here's hoping you know here's hoping I already started making the graphics I think they look cool um there's a few movies I need to watch I need to watch The Whale I need to watch All Quiet on the Western Front I need to watch Babylon uh, I need to watch Black Panther Wakanda Forever there's just like a small selection that I still need to watch. But you can look at my um, ranking of all of the 2023 releases that I've watched this year on my letterbox page, which you can also follow me on um, my my username is just Patrick Wright, W-R-I-G-H-T, no space. It's just my name. But follow me on there. We can interact on there. It's fun. I'm on there literally every single day. I'm basically plugged into it. Um, but thank you so much for listening. I hope this motivated you to check out some festivals and you will hear from me hopefully soon.